Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Liz, I erased one of my big whiteboards and we're digital now. So it's just like staring at me. It's so depressing. Ooh, maybe you should have Violet do a mural. Oh, that would be better. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we're going to talk about conscious creativity, how to make space for creativity even when it's hard and kind of feels wrong, frankly. Then we're introducing a new segment, Amplify. And we've got a mailroom question about TV sets, not the kind you watch, the kind we shoot television shows on. This week's Hollywood Hack will make you a better listener. But first, we have an update. Okay, Sarah, recently we gave a joint bomb to all the people out there who refuse to wear face masks. And a member of our Facebook group reminded us that not everyone can wear face masks. And it's true, there are some conditions that make it difficult or dangerous uh, health-wise to wear a face mask. Mm -hmm. And of course, we don't expect those people to wear face masks. However, the overwhelming majority of people are able to wear face masks. Yes, exactly. So please, everyone, let's try to keep each other safe during this pivotal moment in history And we want to be clear, you're wearing masks to keep other people safe. It's not about if you feel you need a mask. Your mask keeps them safe. Yes. Speaking of masks, Sarah, you are loving Molly Pepper masks, which are the ones Allison Fanger, our wonderful costume designer from The Fix, recommended when she came onto the show um, in episode 156 to talk about how to best dress for Zoom meetings. Yes. So I got some Molly Pepper masks. I want to be clear, this is not an ad. And I think especially for people who have a hard time with masks, like I get really, I feel really stifled and I get Mm -hmm. very anxious when I wear a mask. I think these are really good. 
um, because they're loose enough that I can breathe, mm. but they have a filter, so I feel like a little extra protection, and I like them because I can put my glasses over the part at the bridge of my nose, which keeps them from fogging up, Key. which is very important for those of us who wear glasses. And yeah, I just want to reiterate, studies are so clear that in places where everyone who can wear a mask does wear a mask, COVID numbers go down like dramatically. And it's just a simple thing we can do for each other, especially for people who can't wear masks. Yes. So let's wear those masks. Okay, Sarah, it is time for From the Treadmill Death 7, which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's making space for creativity. Yeah, we're in my favorite part of the development process right now. It's like literally my favorite part of being a TV writer when we get to just like brainstorm and be free. And it's just like supposed to be this really fun kind of liberating, exploratory, free, creative feeling. And it's like, ugh. Yes. There's no one saying no to us yet. <laughs> exactly. Which is what's, what it's nice. There's no criticism. It's just us talking and um, being creative. The problem is right now, it's just hard to get into a creative mindset. It feels wrong with everything yeah. going on in the world with, you know, the murder of George Floyd and so many others and the reaction to that and the movement around that. It's just it feels really silly, frankly, for us to just be like chatting about our TV show ideas. Yeah. And yet it is our job. It, it's something we have to do. It's something we want to do. And if we're going to do it well, and this is the challenge, we have to somehow find that space to let creativity in and flow. Yeah. And we have had a lot of problems. Yes. <laughs> um, we will have a plan to have a creative conversation and then we will get derailed. So instantly. Yes. This just <laughs> happened uh, yesterday, I believe. Like we get on the phone and we're all excited to talk about our spec pilot, which is what we're working on right now. And then we start discussing the news and policies and whatever else. And we just lose all interest, motivation, and momentum. Well, and it's like we we start the conversation, like we realized that we have more, we have a better chance of having a good creative discussion in the morning. So we'll get on the phone sort of with this momentum. And, and then by the time we're done with the conversation about the world, we're drained. Yeah. We're just, just like, just sucked dry. Yeah. And then even if we say, okay, we are going to talk now about work, then by that time, one of us has to go to the bathroom and then, you know, <laughs> yeah. we take a break and then the whole thing starts over again. So one thing I was thinking, Sarah, that would be helpful um, for me to do is I should not have CNN on mute while we talk, which I oh my god, do, because so I true. end up reading the headlines out loud to you. Or, you know, a tweet or whatever um, that's going across the screen. And it and again, that derails us. Yes. And I've turned off most notifications, but somehow some still get through. Mm -hmm. So if you're not seeing something on CNN, I'm getting a notification about something. And then ev at, you know, every five minutes, one of us is going, oh, my God, 
oh, you won't believe. And then we try and stop. But then you have to be like, no, 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 go ahead. Tell me. So yes, cutting out those distractions. No CNN for you. I need to figure out what notifications I've missed turning off because it's just, ugh. And if we were still going to work every day, going to an office, even if we were probably in the same place, I think we'd be less distracted because when you're at work, you sort of feel like you're at work. But when you're just home, especially for such a long time, the lines get blurry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of why this is hard, and we are not remotely the only people going through this, and TV writers in general are not, is because we're working slash being creative at home and we don't have that time. We don't have that space yeah, set the, apart. The, like we try, you have your office, I have my office, but. And of course, Sarah, as we go through the creative process, we also need to ask ourselves how we're dealing with questions of race in our work. We need to do better. It's, you know, it's a hard conversation. And I think that's why sometimes people don't want to have it, even in creative work, but it's extremely important. Yes. Yes. Because in theory, the work that we do, the work that our fellow television and film writers do reaches millions of people and sends lots of messages, some of them good, some of them bad. And we all need to be more conscious about the messages we're sending. Yes. So that is on us. Yes. Coming up, we have a new segment, but first this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, Liz, it's time for our new Amplify segment. So we've been talking a lot about what we can do in our lives and professionally and on this podcast about how to help counter the systemic racism that is just so deeply rooted in our psyches and our institutions and that we have to change. We just have to change it and we have to do it now. Yes. And one thing we can do here is amplify the voices and work of people of color, You know, we've been pretty good, Sarah, about amplifying women because, you know, we are women. But we're going to be even more intentional about that in this segment, too. We're going to be sharing books, movies, TV shows, podcasts, all kinds of good stuff to amplify those voices. Yeah, so this week we're choosing some of the books that are educating us and our kids as we do the work to become actively anti-racist. Yes, a good book to start with if you want to be anti-racist is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. 
The New York Times called it the most courageous book to date on the problem of race in the Western mind. I'll be reading this one, Sarah, as soon as I finish the book I'm currently reading, which is Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. I'm listening to it um, because, Sarah, it is sold out everywhere. Um, A lot of these books are, but you can still get them on Kindle or download them, um, which I do take as a positive sign that we white people are getting serious about educating ourselves. Yes. Um, And our kids. Uh, A big part of this is raising anti-racist kids, which we're, you know, we've both made an effort to have a lot of diversity on our kids' bookshelves, which is great, but again, not enough. So this week, Violet and I read a kids' book about racism by Jelani Memory. That's the title of the book, A Kids' Book About (laughs) Racism. And then we talked about race and valuing differences and why they're important and how much we can all learn from each other. So if your kids are in Violet's age group, it's really a great book for opening up the discussions that we all need to be having with our kids. And weirdly, it pairs very well with Trolls World Tour. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yes. (laughs) And we also want to amplify a podcast. It's called Little Stories for Tiny People. Yes, this is Violet's favorite podcast. She listens to it every night at bedtime. And the stories are all about inclusivity and kindness and embracing ourselves and others for exactly who they are. And Rhea Pector, who writes and performs all the stories, sent an email to her listeners. So I just want to amplify Rhea and this podcast. Rhea wrote, I want all of my tiny listeners to grow up without fear of violence and inequitable treatment. But right now, that is not the reality. I would love to encourage those who appreciate my work to join me in giving to organizations that fight for racial justice. Here are just a few. Campaign Zero, The Bail Project, Color of Change, Equal Justice Initiative, And she says, if you do make a donation and consider making it a recurring monthly donation to one of those organizations or a similar organization, I would love to send a personal voice memo to your child with a message about the importance of kindness, empathy, and power with rather than power over others. So I just love that she's doing that. Rhea, we hope you are soon sending out a bazillion personalized voice memos. That is such a good idea. And we'll obviously link Sarah to these books and to the podcast in our show notes at Happier in Hollywood. If you're reading something or watching something or listening to something that you think we should amplify here, let us know. Email us or leave us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. All right, Liz, it's time for our mailroom segment. Becky on our Facebook group wrote, After we watched the series ending of Modern Family this week, my 13-year-old daughter had many questions tonight I could not answer. She is so interested in the sets and how the homes are filmed, Claire and Phil's house being her focus. So we know a real house is used for external shots, but would like to know how these things work. Do they film in the real interior, solely in the house, or do they have sets too? Seasons in the U.S. are long, so do real families live in them? How do they manage this with such long-running shows? What if the family wants to sell mid-series? She had questions on decorating, personal belongings, neighbors, upstairs, downstairs, filming. So many questions. Yes, and Sarah, we have answers to many of these (laughs) questions, in fact. Yes. Well, first of all, they usually use the exterior of a house 
for a real house for exteriors, like you mentioned, and then build the sets for the inside of the house. The vast majority of the time when you see people acting inside a house, it is on a set. It is not at an actual house unless it's like a house they're using one time as a location and then you'll shoot inside of it. Yeah, it's just so much easier for the regular sets to be built so you can take out walls and move things and control the lighting and have all the lighting set up or much of the lighting set up beforehand. So the interiors of houses that they use every single episode they build. And it's um, much cheaper. I mean, to rent yeah. a house um, for a location, I mean, it can be $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, $25,000. You know, it's a lot of money. And once you, but if you have the sets, obviously you can use them over and over again. And real people do live in these houses. In fact, the This Is Us house is across the street from my sister-in-law, Michelle. And so she'll see them come in and, and film. And the crew will pay different people on the block to use their driveway or um, to use their house as like um, a place for the actors to hang out or where they set up craft services. And if the family wants to sell mid-series, then the TV show has to make a new deal with the new owners and hope that they can make a deal with the same terms. I would imagine if someone bought a house that was being used like for Modern Family, I'd suddenly double the price because now that's the house they're invested in. I know, because if the person doesn't want filming there, then you have to think of a reason why your people are in a different house or try to find one that's similar and just, um, you know, act as if it's the same house. You know, it can be an issue. I mean, Sarah, we had a situation on The Fix where we had an exterior for the character Sevy's house um, and we were going to go back to it and the Malibu fires were happening yeah. and we couldn't go back to it. So we had to cheat a house that was in Altadena, <laughs> um, which is nowhere near Malibu, mm. nothing like Malibu as the same house. It was crazy. Yeah. And then as for decorating and personal belongings, when we do shoot inside houses, usually all of the personal belongings of the people who live there get moved out and the production designer and their crew puts in a whole new room, basically, and decorates it the way the character would have it. Yes, but that can go either way. Sometimes you do use what's there, and that, I think, ups the price, obviously. And Sarah, your house was used in a television show before you moved in. <laughs> Many, many years before I moved in, it was used in the TV show Silk Stockings, which I have to go back and watch. Yes. I, that show was like in the 80s, right? Yes. I want to see your house on Silk I Stockings. I do too. It was like the one of the lead characters' um, house, I think. I'm going to yeah. do some Silk Stockings binging this weekend. Yes. <laughs> and, and tell me what episode to watch so I can I will. see it featured. Okay. But that is a great question. Thank you, Becky. Coming up, a hack that will help us all improve our listening skills. But first, this break. 
I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Okay, Liz, it's time for this week's Hollywood hack, which is for one week, don't interrupt. Yes, we have all been thinking about our listening skills. We want to be better listeners This is true in the world and at work and definitely in writers' rooms. Yes, this is always a huge issue in writers' rooms. Yes, we all love to hear ourselves talk, and um, often we don't like to hear other people talk as much. (laughs) And I know that I am a horrible um, interrupter. I interrupt people constantly, whether it's at home, at work, At a dinner party, I am an interrupter. I almost interrupted you to say that (laughs) in our work, I don't feel like in our sort of one-on-one work, I don't feel like you are an interrupter very much. Well, it may be when there's, maybe it's in a group setting more often than one-on-one. But I also think there's just sort of a dynamic, you know, that like if you interrupt me, I probably don't even notice it. And then when I interrupt you, you probably don't even notice it. Exactly. We have our flow. Yes. Um, but I do know that I interrupt people because I'll even know I'm doing it and I can't stop myself. And if I would stop that and just listen to what they say and even maybe allow a little pause, I would hear better. You would hear better and I would hear better and we would better be able to respond and process what other people are saying instead of just thinking about ourselves. Yeah, just thinking of what am I going to say to this? How am I going to counter this? And it's hard. I was having a discussion with my father-in-law this weekend, a heated discussion, and I was (laughs) trying not to interrupt. And oh, my God, it was impossible. I just kept on interrupting. So for one week, Sarah, I'm going to attempt not to do that. And I am with you. And one week is doable for just about anything. So this is sort of our a Hollywood hack experiment. It's just for one week, making the commitment not to interrupt. Yes. See what happens. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, king of remote recording. Thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. 
Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Do the Thing with Whole30's Melissa Urban. And check out the newest Onward Project podcast, Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain, and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Okay, Liz, it's time for this week's Hollywood hack, which is for one week, don't interrupt. Yes, we have all been thinking about our listening skills. Excuse me. Yeah. (laughs) Chuck. I couldn't help it. Chuck's week hasn't started yet. (laughs) From the Onward Project.